This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. William Bendix will be along in the half hour as Chester A. Riley, a wing riveter at the fictional Cunningham Aircraft Plant in California. But first we drift back to 1948 to hear Sam Spade in the episode The Hot 100. The Adventures of Sam Spade Detective was a radio series based loosely on the private detective character Sam Spade created by writer Dashiell Hammett for the Maltese Falcon. Now, the show ran for 13 episodes on ABC in 1946, for 157 episodes on CBS from 46 through 49, and finally for 51 episodes on NBC from 49 through 51. So, it's pretty obvious that it was an audience grabber from the very outset. The series starred Howard Duff as Sam Spade and Lorene Tuttle as his secretary, Effie, and took a considerably more tongue-in-cheek approach to the character than the novel or the movie. And special mention at this point is really necessary when commenting on the talents of Lorene Tuttle. She was an American character actress and acting coach who made the transition from vaudeville to radio and later films and television. Her most enduring impact, though, was one of a network radio's more versatile actresses, often appearing in 15 shows per week, comedies, dramas, thrillers, soap operas, and crime dramas. She became known as the First Lady of Radio. The series was largely overseen by producer-director William Spear. In 47, scriptwriters Jason James and Bob Tallman received an Edgar Award for Best Radio Drama from the Mystery Writers of America. So let's go now to the episode, The Hot 100, from 1948. The Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective. Brought to you by Wild Root Cream Oil Hair Tonic, the non-alcoholic hair tonic that contains lanolin. Wild Root Cream Oil, again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first. Sam Spade, Detective Agency. Uh, This is Sam, Blackleg Spade, the third most dangerous gambler on the Barbary Coast. Oh, Sam, not horses again. Horses, women, and the gaming tables, Effie, the diversions of the elite. Well, divert yourself with this, Sam. The phone company has sent the pink notice. Uh Uh-huh. Pay it no mind, sweetheart. We are healed. We have hit the cashier's cage, annexed the pot, broken the bank, and we're standing on velvet. Sam, are you sober? Uh, definitely velvet. Hmm. Warm, too. Sam, for where are you calling from? You're wrong, Effie. It's a drugstore. Stay where you are. I'll be right down to deal out my report on the hot hundred grand caper. (laughs) 
Marshall Hammett, America's leading detective fiction writer and creator of Sam Spade, the hard-boiled private eye, and William Spear, radio's outstanding producer-director of mystery and crime drama, join their talents to make your hair stand on end with the adventures of Sam Spade. Presented by the makers of Wild Root Cream Oil for the hair. And now, with Howard Duff starring as Spade, Wild Root brings to the air the greatest private detective of them all in the adventures of Sam Spade. September 19, 1948, to uh, robbery detail, San Francisco Police, Attention Sergeant Walsh. Uh, from Samuel Spade, license number 137596, uh, dear Joe. Here's the rundown on that hot hundred grand. It started pleasantly enough when my secretary, Miss Effie Perrine, cute little mouse, eased into my private office, closed the door behind her, and leaned back against it with that air of pained resignation, which generally means there's a customer outside that she doesn't approve of, but that I'll see her anyway. It's up to you, Sam. She's very well dressed, and I imagine she can afford you. How do you, uh, deduce that? Oh, she dropped her purse. I didn't get time to count it all, but there was a hundred-dollar bill on top. Well, sure, in, Effie. Sam. Go ahead, say it. Oh, I don't know, Sam. Sometimes, well, there's just money. No. No, that's one of the reasons I hire you. What's the matter with it? Nothing. That's just it, Sam. She's very good-looking, mm-hmm. cultivated, and very kind and considerate. And she seems sincerely troubled. You mean her act is a little too good? I felt that too, Sam. Thanks, Angel. I'll keep that in mind. Tell her to come in. All right, Sam. Mr. Spade will see you, Mrs. Kilcorn. Thank you. Thank you for seeing me, Mr. Spade. My pleasure. Uh, won't you sit down? Oh, Thank you. <clears throat> I'm Lorraine Kilcourse, Mr. Spade. It's about my husband, Leonard Kilcourse. Husband? Oh. We've only been married a short time. It was a quiet ceremony at the San Cedro Mission. Mm-hmm. Leonard didn't want to subject me to any publicity. The difference in our ages, you know? You mean you want me to keep it a secret? Oh, no. No, except for the newspapers, of course. Naturally, all of Leonard's friends know. Well, he doesn't have many from what I've heard. I thought it strange, too, that such a prominent man should have such a small circle of acquaintances. I met him only a short time before I married him. He's been very kind and absolutely devoted to me, and I suppose I should feel ashamed of myself for, for coming to you. But there are so many things about him that are mysterious. That I, sometimes I, I can't seem to find my handkerchief. Here. Kleenex. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. I uh, take it you're not a San Francisco girl. No. No, I met him at a dude ranch. Well, uh, maybe I can clear up some of your mysteries for free. The reason your husband doesn't have many friends is because they keep dropping dead. I don't understand you. Oh, forget it. He's a big public servant. He's built a lot of sidewalks. The streets of the city are paved with his good intentions. His name is on a thousand manhole covers. If the names of his former business associates land on headstones, it's nothing to me. I got my own racket. Well, what? I think my husband is paying blackmail to someone. Uh Uh-huh. And upon what do you base your suspicions, Mrs. K? It started about a month ago. He began withdrawing large sums from our joint account. First was 10,000, then then 20,000, and last week, Mm 50,000. And and this morning, 
He closed out the balance of the account. One hundred thousand dollars. Well, he's got it to spend, Mrs. Kiltroy. Well, I I won't pretend the money doesn't interest me, but what's behind it, Mr. Spade? Each time he withdraws these cash sums, he leaves the house without a word to me. And sometimes doesn't return until dawn. My husband is not fond of nightlife, Mr. Spade. Only a desperate situation could induce him to leave the house. After dark. <clears throat> yeah, so I've heard. They say that's how he kept his health as long as he has. All right, uh, you want me to trail him, find out what he does with the money. Just one question. Why'd you pick me for the job? I... I why, your reputation... That's is... local. You say you're new in San Francisco. Well, I, I do read the local papers. Your picture was in only two weeks ago. Yeah, well, that cave didn't help my reputation. I like your looks. A nice, honest face. A man I could trust. Well, don't buy that. And I'm sentimental, too. Your picture reminded me of someone who was very dear to me. My brother. Of course, you're nothing like him, really, but but you do look alike. I suppose that sounds like a silly woman's reason. Yeah. What's your address? Well, I have a little place of my own now on the Visadero. The Balboa Apartments near Normandy Terrace. Mm -hmm. You'd better keep in touch with me there. I don't want Leonard to know. The Kilcourse Mansion is at 1316 Clarendon. 1316. He returns from his office around six in the evening. Do you have a car? No. Do I need one? Well, I don't know where he may go. I hear the keys to my car. It's parked in front of the main entrance, a gray Plymouth. He won't recognize the car. My, my, my brother's. Now, about your fee. A hundred bucks now. If I need more, I'll leave you now. <laughs> I had an uneasy feeling I would need more. The last detective that tried to follow Leonard Kilcourse had hospital insurance. I don't. But I'm a gambler at heart, so I parked Lorraine's Plymouth across the street from the Kilcourse mansion and waited. At 9 and a p.m., Mr. Kilcourse, much, much too old for her, came out the front door and flagged down a taxi. I made an illegal U-turn and followed. trail ended across the Golden Gate Bridge in Marin County. It was a country club-type building on top of a hill overlooking the bay. It did business under the name of Ernie Nogales' Racket Club. The racket had nothing to do with tennis. It came from two sources. The moans and groans of the customers losing money at the roulette wheels and crap tables. And the glad hand the management threw at my quarry as I followed him in. Mr. Kilcourt, nice to see you. Since when you go out of the dock? Well, I thought a little nightlife might agree with me, Nogales. Oh, 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 that sounds like you, Mr. Kilcourt. I didn't know you better. I think you was afraid to go out night. <laughs> well, now, I was thinking of buying this place to retire to. Uh, but I figured it'd be cheaper to win it at your roulette table. What's your limit here? Ten thousand. But for you, wide open. The sky. A hundred grand for a starter? Well, any time they catch you with hot money, Mr. Kim. I'm over to the cashier. I sell you the chips myself. I didn't have to bother making myself inconspicuous. Everybody in the joint stopped playing to watch Kilcourse while he shoved his hundred grand roll through the cashier's window and scooped up four sacks of thousand buck chips. All right, you. Spin that wheel. Huh? How much you got there? Twenty-five grand. Any objections? Is that okay, Mr. Nogales? Uh, spin it, Joe. I'm covering through the table first. Okay, sir. Around and round the little ball goes. Fifty. 
16 pages, Keen and the Red. Maybe next time, Mr. Kingo. Why don't you double up, play the red and the black? Safer. I'll stay with the numbers. 50,000 on 15. There. Spin it. It's okay, Joe. I'm still covering. Well, it's your money, Mr. Nogales. Number four page. Number four and the red again. Well, 25 grand more on 15. Uh, look, Mr. Kilcoyne, go on. Enjoy yourself. Take it off your income tax. But please spend those... Spread them out a little there, those chips, huh? Looks bad for the house. What kind of a joint is this? Can't you cover the bets? Okay, Joe. He asked for it. Okay, sir. I didn't wait to see where the little ball went on the last spin of the wheel. I would have made a side bet with any taker that Kilcourse wanted to lose that hundred grand. I would also have made book. He knew I was following him. As I left the table and walked out of the club, I braced myself for what usually comes next. There would either be a dead body in the car or somebody would crease my noggin with a sap. But nothing happened. I switched on the headlights and stood in the glare of them for fully a minute, but nobody even shot at me. I flushed the shrubbery. No gunman. Checked the ignition wires. No booby traps. Driving back to town, I racked my brains for some way to bring them out into the open. I felt like a man with his life savings all on one number waiting for the wheel to stop spinning, which wasn't far from the truth. Not much of a cliffhanger, but the best we could do this week. The makers of Wild Root Cream Oil are presenting the weekly Sunday adventure of Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective... Sam State. And now back to the hot hundred grand caper. Tonight's adventure with Sam Spade. Yeah. Uh, this, uh, Mrs. Kilcross's apartment? Yeah. She here? Yeah. Well, uh, can I come in? Yeah. Come Yeah. Who is that, Mr. Spade? Yeah. Oh, this is, this is the detective I was telling you about, Tommy. Remember? Yeah. The one who looked so much like you? Yeah. No. Oh, excuse me. This is my brother, Tommy Lane. Yeah. I mean, uh... Tommy, won't you run down to the corner and buy me some cigarettes for about 20 minutes? I have something to talk over with Mr. Spade. Yeah. Nice boy, your brother. Small vocabulary, but big feet. Well, he, he's shy. Now, what did you find out about Mr. K- uh, my husband, Mr. Spade? He uh, dropped a hundred grand in a gambling joint. Ernie Nogales' racket club. You know it? No, but I know Ernie Nogales. I knew him in Reno before I met Leonard. He lost his license there for running a crooked wheel. The way Kilcross is playing tonight, that wheel didn't have to be crooked. He was trying to lose that hundred grand. But why? Why would he do a thing like that? One of two reasons. Either he's paying off to Nogales or he's paying off to somebody else and Nogales is the go-between. Well, I don't believe it. 
Ernie's a crooked gambler, but he doesn't touch blackmail. And your husband isn't stupid enough to drop a hundred grand in three turns of a wheel. Anyway, I'm not tangled with him and or the Ernie Nogales mob for a hundred bucks of your money or anybody else's. Here, take it. Well, but... and here are your car keys. No, no, wait, please. You, you can't desert me now. Why not? Well, I haven't told you everything. I'd hoped I wouldn't have to. About your brother? How do you know? The only place you get a green suntan is in a pokey. Besides, the act's kind of stir-crazy. Spent a little time in solitary, didn't he? He won't talk about it. But that's it, Sam. That's why Leonard is paying that blackmail money to Nogales. Uh, you just said Nogales wouldn't touch blackmail. Any other corrections you'd like to make in your copy before we proceed? Yes. Well, I might as well tell you everything. Why not? I knew when I came to you this morning that my husband was paying this money to Nogales. I knew because I asked him to. You and Ernie Nogales are working together? I'm not that rotten. I didn't say you were, but you're a rotten liar. There's that much in your favor. But I'm telling the truth now, Sam. You must believe me. Everything that has happened is my fault. I persuaded Nogales to give my brother a job in his place in Reno. Mm -hmm. They quarreled, and when he got closed down, he, he blamed Tommy. He swore he'd kill him when he got out of prison. That's why I begged my husband to pay him to save Tommy's life. Who did write on Nogales about that crooked wheel at Reno? I did. That's why I feel responsible. Leonard is so fine, so, so generous. But I can't let him go on paying for my mistake. Yeah, like you said, he's going to run out of money. Look at me, Sam. Do I look like the kind of a woman to whom money means everything in the world? No, but you're looking at me, not at Kilcors. You're laughing at me. Oh, I know what you think. Perhaps I did make a mistake in marrying Leonard, but he was so kind, so considerate, like my father. Everybody reminds you of your relatives. You don't believe my story. Well, since you asked. Well, all right, then. Here's the truth. I'm really Jack the Ripper's granddaughter. My parents were terribly wealthy. I harpooned my mother in her Beverly Hills swimming pool, set fire to my father with a $50,000 negotiable bond, and eloped with John Wilkes Booth. That brings us up to 1865. Shall I go on? Don't stop. It's great. Oh, get out of here. Get out of here and leave me alone. After you've told me all your secrets, I'm not that right. You won't help me. You never intended to. Why go on? Torturing. Oh, now, stop that. Please, please. I, I believe you. I believe all your stories. Now, uh, what is my next smart move? Sam, the only way to stop Ernie O'Gallis is to prove that he's running a crooked wheel. Let me pay back all that blackmail money, and, and he wouldn't dare lay a hand on Tommy. Well, it's going to be hard to prove and expensive. Oh, but... I'll have to lose a little on that wheel before I can figure the way it's rigged. How much can you invest? Well, I, I have about a thousand dollars of my own. With you? Yes. Here. You take it. Mmm. Smells nice. Sam. Yeah? Sam, after all this is over and after I've put things to right with Leonard, I should have told him before this, but I owed him so much. I... Oh, Sam. I'm so glad it's you. Yeah. Me too, Angel. Go now, darling, before I beg you not to. What time does that joint close? Well, it, well, it runs all night, I think. Good. Let's stay up late and raid the icebox. Around 2 in the a.m., when I low-geared the Plymouth up the long, steep driveway to Ernie Nogales' racket club, backed into the parking space nearest the road with a car headed downhill for a quick getaway just in case, and I went in. The joint was still going full blast, 
I bought 500 bucks worth of chips, swag it over to the table where Kilcourse had dropped his hundred grand and nonchalantly flipped the blue chip onto the red. Happily, ship it, ladies and gentlemen. Make your game. Okay, that's all. Around and round the little ball goes. I didn't look to see where the little ball went. Most of the money was on red, so it was bound to turn up black. Oh, a red, please. What? Number 15. Raise your best, please. Make your game, ladies and gentlemen. Around, around, around. The chips were spread around more the next turn, so I stacked 100 at the bottom of the 1 to 34 column. With a crooked wheel, my 100 made it the best bet to lose. And 19, and the red wins again. Hey! I plunked 500 down on number 5 and raked in 17,500. I left my original bet on the table. When the little ball fell into the pocket, I was 35,000 bucks to the good from my point of view, but not for my clients. I doubled my bet and looked apprehensively around. There were no surly characters edging up behind me. In fact, the only surly character in sight was Ernie Nogales, and he looked happy. That didn't make much sense. When my bankroll got to 105,000, I played a hunch. I threw five grand of it back on the table and lost it. That made a kind of sense. I cashed in the rest of my chips and squeezed the hundred grand U.S. currency into my inside pocket. If anybody aimed for my heart, it was thick enough to stop the slug, which was some comfort. But what I saw when I walked out to the parking lot was no comfort at all. I'd gotten just a glimpse of it through some trees. A sedan backed into a driveway halfway down the hill. It was blacked out except for five glowing cigar ends that showed through the windows. I could think of only one reason for five cigar smokers to be parked in that particular spot at that particular moment. The Plymouth is where I had parked it, pointing straight down the hill. I slammed the door but didn't get in. And I listened. The car down the hill was getting ready, too. I cracked the door of the Plymouth wide enough to get my arm inside and pressed the starter with the heel of my hand. I switched on the lights, pushed the clutch with my left hand, used my right to shift it into low, and I pulled the hand throttle out all the way and let it go. Talk, no, Gallus. Please, don't wave that heater. It makes me nervous. I don't like God. I don't either. That's why I'm here. Put your hands on top of the desk and keep them there. All right. Give me back that roll. I give you clean money for it. It was a gamble, so I lost. Can you blame me? Where'd you get this money? I buy it. Fifty cents on the dollar. I don't ask where it came from, but I read the papers. I figure it was that ship row, that shipyard payroll job a few days back. Like it just fell in my lap. I figured it'd make 50 grand instead of kill course five. I guess that was dirty trick you just out of stir, Tommy. Huh? I got news for you, Nogales. I didn't know this money was hot, and I'm not Tommy Lane. No? Then what? Private Dick. Tommy's sister hired me to take the fall for him. Look, I uh, got most of the caper. Kill course wanted to pay Tommy 100 grand. You rigged the wheel so Kill course would lose it one night, and Tommy would win it back the next night. Now, uh, what was Kilcross paying him off for? No caper, legitimate. He was sent up for bribing a public official. 
You mean he was the payoff man for Kilcross's contracting firm? Sure, legitimate business. The grand jury went out after Kilcross. Tommy took the rap, that's all, for a price. Yeah, a hundred grand. Thanks, Nogales, that's all I needed. I might be too late. You are, sweetheart. Oh, I have so many things to explain. Where, 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 where can you talk? Right in here. But who's this man? Well, that's your old sweetie from Reno, Ernie Nogales, remember? What's the matter with you two? You oh, crazy? Oh, Sam, I should have told you the truth from the beginning. Check. Well, Nogales, Jan, I can understand, but why did you tell me you were Kilcross's wife? I was desperate. I had to say something. It was the only explanation I could think of for my interest in this case yeah. without telling the truth. But you were making a pigeon out of me. I don't know about such things, Sam. All I know is I'm here in time to warn you. You mustn't walk out of here with that money. Listen. They may kill you to get it back. They already did. They're what? combing the wreckage of that car right now looking for my body. Then Tommy was right. They did mean to kill him. How did he get the room? While he was in prison. From another man that killed Cors framed. He was in for life, so it was safe for him to talk. Hey, you... Oh. Yeah, Nogales? That car that just drove up. I think that's Mr. Kilko. Hey, what's your hurry? Don't let me go. Come on, what's your hurry? Tommy's out there in that cab. I've got to warn him. Or tip off Kilkos. Which is it? No, Sam, you've got to believe me. Sit down. Stop that. You two have fun. I'm getting out of here. Go ahead. Now, uh, listen, sweet Lorraine. You may as well save your breath for those explanations. You're staying right here until the cape is all wrapped up. Here he comes. I have it come, Sam. Yeah? Well, you do better have it ready. Mm-mm. But Sam... Where's Nogales? I want to see him. Uh, he was called out of town, sir. I'm in charge. Uh, you must have killed Cors? That's right. I want to know why you people have been interfering with my business. It might interest you to know that this building site's on an old Spanish land grant. Title's very shaky. I'll run an eight-lane highway straight through the middle of it and turn the rest of it into a game preserve. <laughs> That's what I do to people who double-cross me. I tried to tell Mr. Nogales that, sir. He wouldn't listen to me. He tipped Tommy off for a split of a hundred grand, but I knew sooner or later we'd have to answer to you, Mr. Kilcors. Oh, well, what's that? Here's your hundred grand, sir. Count it. Well, 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 well. Oh, what's your name, son? Sam Spade, sir. Well, I'm glad to meet an honest lad. Well, come along. Are you too, young lady? We'll all walk out together. Sam, what are you... What? Uh, Spade, huh? Yes, sir. I'm a private detective, but I'm ambitious. Hmm. Politics? Uh, yes, sir. Well, we'll run you for assembly. In the meantime, I believe there's an opening in one of the public services. Garbage disposal. Executive end, of course. Where the devil is that man with my car? Oh, there he is. Now, you drop around to my office in the morning. Thank you, and good night, Mr. Kilgore. Drive on, Horace. Back to the city. Oh, Sam. How could you? Hmm? All those lies and and just handing over the money like that. It it wasn't yours. It wasn't Tommy's either, sweetheart. Get in. Well, Tommy... Are you all right? Yeah. Drive us across the bridge, Tommy, will you? Yeah. Tommy. Yeah? Tommy, I'm afraid we'll have to do without the money. Yeah? Sam gave it to Mr. Kilcourse. Yeah? Now, now, don't get excited, Tommy. I'm sure Sam had a reason. Didn't you, Sam? Yeah. I mean, that was marked money from a payroll job. Oh, then it won't do him any good. It'll send him up for a good long stretch if the eyewitness story that goes along with it is good enough. And you're just the girl to tell it, sweetheart. Am I uh, right, Tommy? Yeah. Uh, period, end of report. Already? But, Sam. Yeah? What happened? Who were the five men in the car, the ones who shot at that Plymouth in the mistaken belief that you were in it? Their names are of little account of. He suffice it to say that Kilcourse pointed his pudgy finger at them in the hopes of keeping the charge of attempted murder out of his indictment. 
But I was too clever. I identified them. But, Sam, you didn't see anything but their cigars glowing in the darkness. Have you never heard of Sherlock Holmes' monograph on the 49 varieties of tobacco ash, you fool? Oh, but, Sam, Sherlock Holmes is only the segment of someone's imagination. He's a fictional detective. Well? You mean... Oh, Sam, you're tired. Yes, I am. It's affected your mind, winning well. all that money. Now, you just sit here and rest. What? Think of the snowy mountaintops and uh, blue skies. Mm-hmm. I'll just go and type this down. Snowy mountaintops. Winter sports yet. Well, sure it is, Sam. And not that it made any difference, but how did you guess that she wasn't Mrs. Kilcourt? Simple. Kilcourt didn't recognize it. Sam, that was after you denounced her. I did no such thing. From the report, Sam and Black and White. Quote, why did you tell me you were Kilcourse's wife? Unquote. At that point, you assumed that she was not Mrs. Leonard Kilcourse. I did not. I merely wondered why she had told me. Well, with all the lies she told, you might have assumed anything she said was totally devoid of truth. And I did, sweetheart. I did. Oh. Oh, well, that's a relief. I was afraid for a while she'd taken you in. What's that got to do with the truth? Good night, sweetheart. The Adventures of Sam Spade, Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, are produced and directed by William Spear. Sam Spade is played by Howard Duff. Lorene Tuttle is Effie. Sadie Thompson appeared as Lorraine Kilcourse. The Adventures of Sam Spade are written for radio by Bob Tolman and Gil Dow. Musical direction by Lud Gluskin. Score composed by Renee Garrigan. Join us again next Sunday when author Dashiell Hammett and producer William Spear join forces for another adventure with Sam Spade. Brought to you by Wild Root Cream Oil. Again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first. This is Dick Joy reminding you to... Get Wild Root Cream Oil, Charlie, it keeps your hair in trim. You see, it's not alcoholic, Charlie, it's made with silver You better get Wild Root Cream Oil, Charlie, start using it today. You'll find that you will have a tough time, Charlie, keeping all the gals away. Hiya, Baldy, get Wild Root right away. Stay tuned for The Life of Riley, next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for William Bendix to star as Chester Riley in The Life of Riley, and a show first aired in 1949. New, it's amazing, it's Prell, P-R-E-L-L, Prell Shampoo. Yes, Procter & Gamble's new radiant cream shampoo in the handy tube. brings you The Life of Riley. Well, the shampoo that removes unsightly dandruff, leaves hair radiantly lovely, presents The Life of Riley with William Bendix as Riley. Each evening after dinner, Chester A. Riley sits down and relaxes with the evening paper. This is one of our American institutions. Whatever is lacking in our daily lives, the evening newspaper can provide. For the stout and sedentary businessman, there's the sports page. For the meek and mild spinster, there's the latest axe murder. And for Riley, happily married for 18 years, 
There's the divorce news. Hey, listen to this, Peg. What, Riley? In the paper here. 80-year-old man divorces wife after 50 years of marriage. Oh, no. The couple have 16 children, 30 grandchildren, and 22 great-grandchildren. Oh, I think that's awful after 50 years. Well, it's just one of those things. I guess she just wasn't his type. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Hey, get this. Prominent socialite divorces banker. Million-dollar community property to be divided. (laughs) How about that, Peg? This poor guy gets taken for 500,000. Oh, what a sap. If we ever split up, honey, you'll never be able to nick me for 50% on a community property deal. Why not? Oh, I'm too smart. I put everything in your name. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. (laughs) If I'm ever stupid enough to divorce a wonderful wife like you, then you deserve to get every cent I have. (laughs) Thanks for nothing. (laughs) (laughs) The silly reasons people get divorced for. Get, get, Get this. Wife sheds mate who talked in sleep. <laughs> Can you beat that? The guy's a perfect husband for 30 years, gives her everything, and she divorces him. Just on account of a little thing like talking in his sleep. That's a woman for you. Well, what did he talk about? A chorus girl named Mabel. <laughs> well, I don't blame her. I do the same. <laughs> you got nothing to worry about, Dumplin'. You're lucky. Other husbands run around nights, but me, I'm home every day at six for dinner. I give you an hour to yourself while you wash the dishes. I read the paper from 7 to 7.30, and then from 7.30 on, I'm all yours. Yes, there's just one slight trouble. At 7.31, you're always sound asleep. (laughs) That's not so. I never fall asleep. Here it is, 7.30 right now. I don't feel a bit sleepy. You want to go out someplace? Where? Just name it. Any place. Any place at all. You mean it? Of course I mean it. Well, I'd like to see when my baby smiles at me. Dan Daly's in it. Oh, that Daly. What a physique. <laughs> well, he's okay, but he's got nothing compared to Betty Grable. <laughs> <laughs> you really want to go? Yeah, come on. I'm rearing to go. Get your thing. All right, I'll be ready in a second. And when my baby smiles at me, let's see, where's that blue coat? Oh, here. Oh, when my baby smiles at me. Well, okay, I'm ready. <laughs> Riley. Oh, yes, I'm a lucky woman. Hey, Pop, can I have a quarter? Oh, I didn't know you were asleep. What? What'd you say, Pop? Peg. Peg, go away, Peg. Gee, he's talking in his sleep. Go away, Peg. I don't like you anymore. I am in love with Gertrude. (laughs) Gertrude, stop kissing me. Gertrude, stop. (laughs) Gertrude, you stop now. Stop, I say, stop. Do it some more, Gertrude. Hey, Pop, Pop, wake up. Huh? Oh, oh, it's you, Junior. What's the matter? Why'd you wake me up? I was having such a nice dream. Yeah, I'll say you were. I was dreaming about... about... It's gone. Uh, You see what you've done? Such a beautiful dream, and now I can't remember. What'd you wake me up for? Well, you you were talking in your sleep. Next time you stay out of my dreams. I didn't want Mom to hear what you said. Never mind. She can hear all she wants. I got no secrets from your mother. I got nothing to hide. 
Junior, I didn't say anything about the five bucks I got hidden up the chimney, did I? No, but a lot worse. What could be worse? You were talking about a woman. A woman? Her name was Gertrude. Gertrude? I don't know anybody named Gertrude. Ha, ha, ha. What do you mean, ha, ha, ha? Bob, you don't have to pretend with me. Pretend what? I've been around. (laughs) Okay, Errol Flynn. (laughs) So I dreamed about this Gertrude. So what? (laughs) That's a lie. (laughs) Gertrude kept kissing you. She kissed me, but I didn't let her. I fought back like a tiger, didn't I? Well, no, you kept asking for more. (laughs) No, it must have been some other guy. And I guess Mom was in the dream, too. Oh, well, then everything's okay. After all, if your mother was there chaperoning me... Yeah, but she kept saying, Pad, go away. I don't like you anymore. I like Gertrude. But that's not true. I couldn't have said... That's what you said, Pop. Listen, Junior, I never heard of this Gertrude. And I ain't admitting nothing. But uh, not a word of this to your mother, you hear? Oh, hi, Gillis. Hey, you look all tuckered out. Tough night? Uh, I didn't sleep a wink. I was afraid I'd talk in my sleep. So you'll talk in your sleep. So what? You probably make more sense when you're unconscious. <laughs> you don't understand. Last night when I took my after supper nap, do you know what I said in my sleep? How should I know? I ain't the kind of a guy goes around snooping, eavesdropping on his next door neighbor's bedroom. you never guess what I said. I was talking about a mysterious woman. What do you think of that? Ask Gertrude if she's got a friend for me. <laughs> Gillis, you hurt. Riley, you dog. You've been holding out on me. Gillis, honest, I don't know any Gertrude. Come, come, Riley. We're men of the world. I'll be glad to take her off your hands. But she don't exist. She's only in my dreams. Okay, so tonight, tell her to come into my dreams. <laughs> I only live next door. A very short trip. I wish I could. If Peg ever heard me, oh, I gotta watch myself. Already Peggy's getting suspicious. I went to bed with adhesive tape over my mouth. No kidding. Yeah, but I got out of it. I gave her a logical excuse. I told her I did it to break me of the habit of sucking my thumb. <laughs> Riley, uh, about this here Gertrude. Gillis, I don't know any Gertrude. Oh, yes, you do. You must have known her. Only you forgot. Now she's in your unconscious. And one night while you're sleeping, the whole sordid story will come up. And Peg will hear it. What story? The intrigues, the secret meetings, the rendezvouses, the back streets, the love nest, drawn chitons. Riley, why did you do it? I'm only flesh and blood. <laughs> I, I, I didn't do nothing. You've got to believe me, Gillis. Oh, I believe you, pal. But try and make Peg believe that. You keep talking in your sleep. She listens. She's horrified. She goes to her room and starts packing. She can't go to her room. We both got the same room. <laughs> there she is, packing. Tears leaking from her eyeballs. Poor Peg. You're still talking. Junior comes in. He listens, then he starts packing. Poor Junior. Then Babs comes in. She listens, and she starts packing. Poor Babs. Here you're talking. Thirteen hours later, you wake up with a sore throat and no family. Poor Riley. <laughs> what I do. You gotta find out who this here Gertrude is. What happened between you? And get her out of your system. Yeah, but I don't remember her. That's why you need a psychiatrist. You mean I should go get psychoalkalized? <laughs> why, sure. You'll find out about Gertrude. 
He'll probe around down there in your unconscious mind. Yeah, well, I'll do anything, Gillis. Do you know a good man? The best? Dr. Eiglick from Vienna. Remember when my boy Eggbite was having trouble in school, bringing home bad marks, failing in exams? Yeah. This doctor found a trouble in the flesh. And such a simple thing. Why? He found out the kid is stupid. <laughs> what a doctor. Well, I bet he can do the same for me. Let's go. So you see, Doc, I got to find out about this Gertrude. Yeah, yeah, I see uh, a very simple case. I handled many similar ones in Vienna when I worked with Freud. Excuse me, please. Hiya, Doc. You placing any bets today? Nah, I'm flat, Lefty. Yeah, too bad. Now, wait a minute. I got a chump in there. I think I can clip him for a fin. Be right back. <laughs> uh, that was a very eminent colleague of mine, Herr Professor Lefty. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard of him. Well, uh, let us begin. Uh, lie down on the couch, please. Oh, yeah, okay, Doc. Oh, before we begin, uh, always the fees in advance. Old Viennese custom. Oh, yeah, yeah, I heard about it. <laughs> Here you are. Uh, thank you. Uh, excuse me a moment. I will go right away and give it to the bookmaker. Uh, the bookkeeper. <laughs> hey, uh, Lefty. Lucky boy in the fourth on the nose. Okay, Doc. Right. Und, uh, now we begin, Herr Lucky Boy. Uh, Herr Riley. Uh, sure, Doc. Obviously, this Gertrude is some woman you should have known a long time ago. And you have suppressed all knowledge of her. But we will find her. We will probe inside your mind. We will go deeper and deeper until we hit rock bottom. <laughs> now, I want you to think of women. Think of all the women you have known. I'm thinking. Now, just let your thoughts roam. Uh, I see a woman. Uh -huh. She's beautiful. Uh -huh. Honey-colored hair. Yeah? Blue eyes. Yeah, yeah. A dimple in her chin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A gorgeous figure. What's her phone number? <laughs> yeah, go on, go on. She's holding her arms out to me. Aha. Uh -huh. Now she's kissing me. Aha. Uh -huh. This is Gertrude. No. No? No, it's my wife. <laughs> Your wife? Yeah. Lie down, please. Yeah. We try again. <laughs> now, we go farther back. A long time to when you were young. I think... Think of women you knew in your youth. I'm thinking. Yeah? I'm in Prospect Park, sitting on a bench. And who is with you? A girl. A gorgeous girl. Uh -huh. I got my arm around her. Uh -huh. The moon is shining. Yeah. I lean over toward the girl. Uh -huh. We're cheek to cheek. She whispers in my ear. What is she saying? Chester, when are you going to get your nose straightened? Aha! <laughs> uh -huh. This is Gertrude. No. No? No, my wife. <laughs> your wife. Lie down, please. We try again. <laughs> now, uh, think back. Think way far back. Where I'm thinking. Where are you? Coney Island. Alone? No, there's a beautiful girl with me. Go on, please. I got my arm around her. Ah. She's got her arm around me. Ah. I lean over to kiss her and... And what? Everything goes black. Black? No, it's light again. Aha! That is it. That is it. We have the solution. First it's light, then it goes black, then it's light again. You know why? Yeah, sure, we just went through the tunnel of love. Yeah. <laughs> yes, of course, you went through the tunnel of love with this Gertrude. No. No? No, with my wife. 
<laughs> Let's try again, huh? Wait. I lie down. <laughs> uh, I think that will be enough for today. Next visit. Next I... visit? Oh, yeah. These things take a long time. One year, two. Wait a minute. I can't wait that long. I paid you for advice. You better come across or give me back my five dollars. Now, see here. You better man. start talking. Of course. Uh, of course. On second thought, the case is very clear. You see, it is apparent that you have an anxiety neurosis rapidly developing into schizophrenia based in turn on a guilt complex in your marital relations. Uh, okay, that's around two bucks worth. Keep talking. <laughs> yeah. You see, your true mate is this Gertrude, but you have suppressed her into your subconscious. Three bucks. Three bucks. <laughs> and in living 18 years with another woman, you have been living a lie. My advice is to leave this stranger whom you never really loved and seek out Gertrude. Only then can you be happy. Well, well, that's more like five bucks worth. Thanks a lot, Doc. You're a genius. It's so simple. All I have to do to be happy is leave this here stranger I've been living with for 18 years and find this Gertrude. So when I get home, I'll just say to my wife, Goodbye, stranger. <laughs> what a revolting development this is. If Riley thinks he's got troubles with Gertrude, wait till he sees himself on the screen in a swell new movie of The Life of Riley. And this warm, hilarious film has all your favorite characters from Peg, Junior, and Babs right up to, or shall I say, down to Digger Odell. You're in for a happy movie when you see The Life of Riley starring William Bendix as Riley. Now, Prell Shampoo brings you the second act of The Life of Riley. And Riley is still worrying about the mysterious Gertrude he keeps talking about in his sleep. Riley, dear, what on earth's the matter with you? Me? Nothing, nothing. Well, you've been staring at me for the last half hour as if I was a stranger. Well, you are. I mean, I, I was. Uh, was I? Well, what's the matter with you? Nothing. Nothing. I, I, I think I'll lie down in the living room for a while. Oh, dear, that man. Always something. Oh, now, who's that? Mrs. Riley? Yes? I'm the cleaning woman. I was working over Miss Gillis for half a day. She said you want me for a little work. Oh, yes, I certainly can use you. Come in, please. Yes, ma'am. I can't do no heavy work, not at my age. I got the room at Well, I just cold. want you to watch the woodwork. <laughs> now, uh, would you please start in the living room here? Oh, my husband's in here. Try not to wake him up. Hmm? Drunk, huh? Oh, no, just sleeping. Yeah, I know, slipping it off. Why, no, he's... Oh, I know the type. My poor father was one of them. But he... Used not... to come home roaring drunk in the middle of the afternoon. But my husband doesn't... Beat my mother up, beat the kids up, all 11 of us. <laughs> There's nothing you can do for him. Just let him sleep it off the way he's doing now. Drunk. Oh, you're a brave little woman, dearie, trying to put up a front, trying to hide your shame from the world. But I tell Just you that... Just like he... my poor mother did, but it ain't no use, is it, dearie? Oh, really? I can't hide these things, Now, look, Ah, I... they gotta come out. But I... You oh. just can't hide them, dearie. All right, all right, he's drunk. 
Don't worry, dearie. I won't tell a soul. <laughs> well, here's a mop for the floor. I'll get you a pail and some wash rags. Uh, Mrs. Jeff Miss. Everybody calls me Gertrude. <laughs> Gertrude, I'll get you that pail. Oh, poor little woman. And look at that big brute laying there in a stupor. Uh, that's a drinking man's face, all right. <laughs> Looks just like my poor father. Oh, he's coming too, the beast. I'm <laughs> Gertrude. You talking to me? <laughs> Gertrude. What do you want? Gertrude, darling. Who are you calling, darling? Kiss me, Gertrude. Kiss you? I may be an old maiden crowd of 60 and getting bald, but I ain't that desperate. Go on, kiss me, Gertrude. I ain't staying here another minute. It's getting so a girl ain't safe anymore. Where are you going? Home. That husband of yours tried to kiss me. He what? Goodbye. <laughs> Riley. Chester Riley. Huh? Huh? Uh, uh, what's the matter? Why are you shaking me? Stop huh? pretending you're asleep. Well, what's the matter? What did you do to that woman? What woman? The cleaning woman. Cleaning? Was there a woman here? She says you tried to kiss her. <laughs> I was asleep all the time. Peg, you've been dreaming. Oh, Riley, you're just impossible sometimes. If it isn't one thing, it's another. It's so hard to get a woman to clean the house, and when I finally do, you drive her away with your crazy antics. Now I'll never get Gertrude back. What are you hooting like an owl for? I said Gertrude. Gertrude, she was here. My dream girl. I gotta find her. Riley, come back. Gertrude! Gertrude, where are you? Oh, what a mess. I thought I'd find that Gertrude wherever she is. I don't know what to do. I can't go home, but I've got her. In my profession, when you've got to go, you go. So it's you. Yes, it is I indeed. Digby O'Dell, the friendly undertaker. What are you doing around here, Digger? I'm on my way to testify as a witness before the UEPUAC. UEPUAC? The Undertakers, Embalmers, and Bulk Bearers Underground Activities Committee. <laughs> the professional committee for our industry. We check up on subversive plots. Oh, those investigating committees, they never find nothing. I beg your pardon. When we uncover a plot, we find something. Well, there's somebody I'd, li I'd like to find. Who? Listen, Digger, did you ever hear anybody talk in their sleep? Not around my place. <laughs> my employees know better than to lie down when I'm around. In fact, I have a sign hanging on the wall that says, if you're sleepy, don't lie down. And what's more, if you do lie down, you'd better snore. 
I've been talking in my sleep about some girl I'm in love with, Gertrude. Oh, Riley, you're a gay dog. <laughs> but I don't remember ever meeting her. I, I can't even remember the dream. All I know is I talked about this here Gertrude, and then she even came to the house. But I was asleep, and Peg says I tried to kiss her. Oh, Digger, help me. You've got to help me out of this hole. Well, all right. For you, I'll make an exception. <laughs> What'll I do? You must be forthright, frank, and truthful. Go to your dear spouse. Tell her everything. Discuss the whole matter. Yeah, that's best. Of course it is. I'm sure she'll understand. And the worst that can happen is that she'll lay you out. Oops, that reminds me I have an appointment. <laughs> well, cheerio. I'd better be shoveling off. Oh, so you're back. Yeah, I've come to explain. Well, I don't want to hear any of your explanations. But, Peg... I don't care to hear anything you have to say. Yeah, but, honey, you... I don't want to listen to one word. Well, don't stand there with your mouth open. I'm waiting to hear what you have to say for yourself. <laughs> well, you see... Now, don't get mad, Peg, but there's another woman in my life. Good. She can have you. <laughs> Peg, I mean it. It's Gertrude. Gertrude? Yeah. She's the woman in your life? Yeah. That poor old thing with rheumatism who's, who's going bald and she's the woman in your life? Well, I always did have poor taste in women. <laughs> you know that. I mean, except for you. I don't understand it myself. I never really saw her. What do you mean you never saw her? Well, I just talk about her in my sleep. Ask Junior. Oh, you ought to go to a psychiatrist. I did. It cost me five dollars. Did he tell you you were crazy? No. You wasted your money. <laughs> you still don't understand. I keep talking about this here Gertrude, and I talk about you, too. I say... Go away, Peg. I don't like you anymore. And then I say, kiss me, Gertrude, and... Riley, do you mean to say... Oh, Riley! Well, it's no joke, Peg. It's more serious than you think. Gertrude is my true mate, and you're practically a stranger. <laughs> the doc told me I gotta find this Gertrude. There, you see how serious it is? I'll find your Gertrude for you. Now lie down on that couch. I'm gonna do a little psychoanalyzing. Well, okay, but you won't get anywhere. I had experts. We'll see about that. Now, think back. A long time ago when we were just kids. You remember my grandfather's place near Poughkeepsie? Yeah, I remember. Remember the weekend we spent there? You were seven and I was six. Yeah. Now I'm 40 and you're 32. <laughs> now, concentrate. Think back to Poughkeepsie. Yeah. It's coming back. Sunday morning. We went for a walk. Go on. We're holding hands and suddenly... Yes? I see her. There she is. Gertrude. It's her. And you run to her. I can't help myself. It's love at first sight. I drop your hand. Run to Gertrude. She starts kissing. And what does she say? She says, wait, it's coming back. I remember. She turns to me, looks at me with her beautiful brown eyes, and she says, No! Gertrude's a cow. I'm in love with a cow. You always did have poor taste in women. The Rileys will return in just a moment. For hair that's groomed well, just use Prell, Procter & Gamble's Radiant Cream Shampoo. Because Prell leaves hair looking lovely the very first time you use it. Radiantly clean, radiantly shiny. Yes, in hardest water, Prell leaves hair more radiant than any other leading cream shampoo. Soft and smooth, easy to curl and manage. And Prell removes unsightly dandruff quickly, 
in as little as three minutes. Doctors' examinations proved it and say that Handy Prel tube's a pleasure to use. No waste, no spill. Try Prel. As Tallulah says, I'm Tallulah the tube of Prel, and I'll make your hair look swell. It'll shine, it'll glow, so dandruff-free for radiant hair. Get a hold of me, Tallulah the tube of Prel Shampoo. Still can't get over it. How any man in his right mind can get into such a stew over silly things. I know, Peg. I know just what you're going to say, and I don't blame you. I admit I ain't much of a husband. What you ought to do is pack up and leave me. Oh, now, don't be silly. If I had it to do all over again, I'd still marry you. You would? Honest? Honest and truly? Mm, Honest. Ah, that's what I love about you, Dumplin'. You got very good taste in men. and Gamble invite you to join us again next week to hear The Life of Riley with William Bendix as Riley. The script is by Alan Lipscott, Reuben Schiff, and Dick Powell. Mrs. Riley is Paula Winslow. Digger Odell is John Brown. The Life of Riley is produced by Irving Brecker. And remember, for more radiant hair free of unsightly dandruff, get the shampoo in the tube. P-R-E-L-L, Prell Shampoo. This is Ken Niles reminding you to tune this NBC station every Friday night for Jimmy Durante, Eddie Cantor, Red Skelton, and the life of Riley. Good night. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's The Shadow, followed by Life with Luigi. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.